Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Good morning, everyone. Isn't it great to be in a church where so much is going on? Yeah, I think it's great. All these things, activities, I love it. I love it. I love that we're involved in the community and abroad and everywhere. It's so exciting. So, yeah, we're in the last of our Daring to Grow uh, series. And I've got a great message for you today. God has really laid something on my heart that I know he's going to do some good for all of us. Uh, So the series has been about all of us becoming more becoming more than we are, um, being bold and daring in our pursuit of growth. Yeah, that's what we've been up to. And all the messages that we've heard over the last, I think it's 15 weeks, have been underpinned by our six core values that we have as a church. And I'm sure you know what they are. I'll just put them up um, just to remind you. We have being determined devotion to God, uh, activating spiritual disciplines, relentlessly loving people, increasing generosity, naturally innovative and growing compassion. You can see the first letter of all of those six values, spare the word, daring. So and we've been daring to grow in this series. The pursuit of growth is a crucial part of our journey as believers, as Christ followers. We should be becoming more day by day, uh, month by month, year by year. We've just been singing glory to glory to glory. Uh, we have all these rough edges that God wants to smooth off. You know, when, we, when we give our lives to God, we're not the complete thing. And it takes, it takes time to get to that point. And have you noticed that the language of our values is not static? It's not passive. It's active and it's increasing. So it's not that we, we want to have compassion. It's that we want growing compassion. Yeah. It's not that we want generosity. It's that we want increasing generosity. We want, yeah. we want uh, activating our spiritual disciplines. It's a really vibrant set of values. Rick Warren uh, makes this statement in one of his books. He says, spiritual maturity is neither instant nor automatic. It is gradual. Sorry, it is a gradual progressive development that will take the rest of your life. So growth isn't automatic. It demands a choice. We have to choose to grow, a decision we have to do to pursue it. But at the same time, we can be assured that it's God's will for us to do that. For us to grow in this life. So in this final message today, I want to talk to you about trust. And again, we've just been singing it. Jay, great set of songs this morning. I'm glad you're listening to the Holy Spirit. That's really good. We're talking about trust. What do we say? I'll trust in you. I'll trust in you. That's what we've just been singing. And I think a message today is all about trust. So uh, my title is Daring to Trust. Because it takes boldness and it takes courage. In order to truly grow in our faith and in our life, we absolutely need to trust. First of all, we need to trust that God is who he says he is. We need to trust that he's who he is, who he says he is. And we also need to trust that we are who he says we are. That takes a big step of trust often, you know. Um, we've got to trust that. And, and I think many of us have trust issues when it comes to our uh, uh, relationship with God. And that stops us from growing. And moving on into God's will for us. And 
There are two ways that are commonly used to describe our relationship with Jesus. We often call him our our Lord and our Saviour. Our Lord and Saviour. And I don't think many of us have a problem with uh, trusting that he's our Saviour. Okay, when we give our lives to Jesus, we say, yeah, I trust you, my Saviour. You're going to save me from my sins. But I do think when it comes to trusting him as Lord, I wonder if we actually know what that means sometimes. And... And I think that's a different matter. We say, we sing, he is Lord, you are Lord. But actually, if we truly meant it, if we truly grasped that he is Lord, it would absolutely change the way we live. It would change our existence, I think. I think we'd probably live quite a different life. We know that God's will is for us to grow uh, in the grace and knowledge of him. Um, Also, Jesus himself, talking about himself in John 10.10, makes this statement, I have come in order that you might have life, and have life in all its fullness. And so there are uh, two things here. We've got life, and we've got life in all of its fullness. Okay, life kind of being uh, uh, stage one, and I'm going to expand that a little bit later, and life in all its fullness, uh, kind of stage two. And I think that life in all its fullness only occurs when we uh, begin to trust him as, as, as our Lord. I heard a story uh, about a uh, lady, a good Christian lady who had lived a full life and uh, she'd got to the end of her life and she was um, uh, kind of uh, coming to the end and her family invited the pastor around to see her um, before she passed away. And so the pastor's standing at this lady's bedside and um, kind of leaning over and the family are around and the lady's lying in the bed and, and she, she motions for a pen and a paper. And so the pastor kind of takes a piece of paper and a pen out of his pocket and hands them to her. And she, and she scribbles uh, quickly a note and hands it back to the pastor. And at that moment, uh, she passes away. And the pastor takes the note, not wanting to um, kind of ruin the atmosphere. He just puts it in his pocket because the family's around. Uh, and then a week later, he, the, he's doing the funeral for this lady and he's talking about her life and the full life that she led. And he remembers that he's actually wearing the same jacket that he was wearing on that day. And he remembers the note that he hasn't yet looked at. And so he, he pulls out the note and he says, well, we all know uh, she lived a great and full life. And I'm, she wrote me this note just before she passed away. And I'm sure it's got words of encouragement and uh, words you know, to uplift us at this time. So I'm just going to read it to you now. And he opens the note and he reads, Pastor, you're standing on my oxygen tube. <laughs> Sorry. Like Paul, we want to say that we have lived our life to the full. Okay, what does he say? He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. So we've got life and we've got life in all of its fullness. Okay, would any of us truly be able to say that we live in that place, that we live in life in all of its fullness, that we live a life as good and as effective and as dynamic and as full as it could possibly be. I don't think there are many of us who could really truly say that. I certainly couldn't. Um, So this message today that I'm talking to you about trust is in two parts. The first part, I want to show you that it is God's plan for us to have this full life uh, according to Scripture. But then I also want to look at one specific way that we can uh, see fruit 
in this abundant life that God wants for us to have. So we're going to turn to, uh, start off in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, uh, uh, just the, uh, verse 20 to 24. It says this, In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our ancestors so that we might always prosper. He brought us out to bring us in. So this is talking about God bringing the nation of Israel out of Egypt and out of slavery Uh, But he's also saying this is only the first part of the plan. He brought them out for a reason. It wasn't just to bring them out. It was to bring them in to the promised land. He brought them out to bring them in. At the beginning of the uh, book of Deuteronomy, um, a couple of facts that we read. uh, It says this in the first few verses. It says, uh, these are the words Moses spoke at. Sorry, verse 2. Just in brackets there. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. So the journey from Egypt to the edge of the promised land is a journey that takes 11 days. And then the next verse is so telling. In the 40th year. That is so sad. A journey that takes 11 days in the 40th year. And we know that the nation of Israel wandered around Mount Sinai and wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. Why did they do this? It was trust issues. They had trust issues. And how many of us have done the same? We've done the first thing, stage one, life if you like. We've been brought out of Egypt. Egypt represents slavery. It represents uh, kind of being bondage to the ways of the world. And, you know, we've accepted Jesus as our saviour. We've accepted that life. And we've done that. But then we spend a long time living the same kind of life, going through the same issues, the same addictions, having the same um, messed up approach to relationships, having the same life without power, having the same dysfunctional uh, relationship with finances and money. And we end up going around the same mountains again and again for years and years when that's not God's plan. That's not the way, that's not why he brought us out. God brought us out of Egypt for a purpose. He saved us for a reason. It wasn't just to be free from slavery Although that's fantastic. We like that. It's amazing that God saved us from our sins and we celebrate that. Um, And actually, as I was preparing this message, for the first time I understood a scripture that's always baffled me a little bit. It was uh, from Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And I've always thought, well, that's a strange statement because it's saying the same thing. It was to be free that Christ set us free. And the same thing. Actually, it's not the same thing. It was for freedom. He brought us out. He, he, it was to bring us in that he brought us out. It was to bring us into the promised land. There was more than just coming out of Egypt. It was for a full life of freedom that he set us free from Egypt, from bondage to sin. So it's brilliant to have that testimony of how God saved us. And, you know, obviously in the baptism service, we're going to hear a couple of great testimonies, how God has changed their lives. He's he's brought them from uh, darkness into light. And we celebrate that. But if that is their only testimony for the next 50 years, there's a problem there. 
Okay, there's more. There's more. And if that's uh, our testimony, if that testimony is only God saved me, that's not the whole picture. That's not, that's not enough. God has got so much more. I've always thought, you know, you know we'd have a testimony night and I always get a bit sheepish. Oh, my testimony is so rubbish. You know, I'm talking about myself. I always think, oh, my testimony is not very... Do you want to hear my testimony? I got saved as a child and I walked with God ever since. And I always think, oh, how boring is that? <laughs> Actually, you know, I didn't have a... I didn't go off and uh, kind of have a life of sex, drugs and all that other stuff. I walked with God. And oh man, that's not a very good testimony. But actually, it's the best testimony. You know, and I want my kids to have the same testimony. I don't want, you know, that's what I want for everyone. And you know, and I know if you haven't been in that position, and many of you are, I, I was so blessed to have a family that brought me up like that. And, I, and looking back, I think, oh God, thank you for that testimony. Thank you for that. But actually, I have much more of a testimony now because God has brought me, bringing me into the promised land as I learn to trust him. He's bringing me into a life that's full and far better. Um, we know that the uh, nation of Israel was saved from Egypt. And there are a few more lessons that we can uh, learn from this. Firstly, what did they have to do to get saved from Egypt? In Exodus, it says uh, this. It says, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. So this is stage one. They cried out to God. And he rescued them. And this is available to any of us who cry out to God as well. Uh, in Romans 9 tells us that if we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, and if we confess with our mouths that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. We cry out and he saves us. The saving work is already done. That's already done. He saw our misery. He heard our cry. Um, he was concerned about our suffering and Um, He saw our hopelessness and so he sent Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins. It's a done deal. It's ready for us to hold out our hands and accept. If that's something that you haven't yet done, then you will have an opportunity later in this service to do that. And I would urge you to do that. uh, Through talking to Grace a few months ago, trying to teach her about forgiveness uh, she made, yeah, she made this question to our little da- eight-year-old daughter, Grace. She said, uh, what do you have to do to get God's forgiveness? And Grace thought for a second and she said, sin. <laughs> How profound is that? From the lips of babes. Man, you know, as adults, we try and jump through hoops. We try, oh no, we've got to do this, we've got to do this, we've got to do this. No, 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 no. It's already done. God's done the work. What do you have to do? You have to sin. Brilliant. Okay, so he brought them, they cried out and he brought them out of Egypt. But that's not the end of the story. The next verse says this. And to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Incredible. Coming out of Egypt, God did all the work. He instigated everything. He provided the resources that were needed. He sent the the plagues. He did signs and wonders. He parted the Red Sea so they could walk through. He defeated the Egyptian army for them. He rained down manna and quail so they would have food to eat. All they had to do was to hold out their hands and accept God's salvation. Accept 
life. That's what they had to do. And then God said to them, I've done all this for you. I've brought you out of slavery. I have released your chains. I've provided for you. You can trust me. Do you trust me? And that's the question for for us today. Do you trust me? Do you trust that I am Lord? Do you trust me? Because, Because what I've done, that's actually just stage one. There's also stage two, the promised land. And this is amazing. I don't remember, there used to be a, an Irish comedian, I think he's back in the 80s. Uh, he wore a, a kind of funny hat, a guy called Jimmy Cricket. And he had a, a catchphrase. And he would, he would be this, and if you remember, he'd say, come here, there's more. Do you remember that in, in an Irish accent, though? Uh, he would say, come here, there's more. Anybody remember that? It's not just me, yeah, there's more. That's what God's saying. Come here, there's more. Don't stop there. Don't stop in the wilderness. There's more to be had. But this is going to require trust and obedience. And that trust is going to be needed to be demonstrated in an act of faith or in acts of faith. And these steps of faith are not always going to be easy. In fact, sometimes they're going to seem pretty foolish. But the end result is going to be the best life in all of its fullness. So there are a few differences between God bringing us out of Egypt and God bringing us into the promised land. And we're just going to look at uh, some of those differences right now. So stage one, life then, coming out. We know that when they, uh, when they got to the Red Sea, Moses held out his stick across the sea and God parted the water and they were able to walk through on dry land. God did the work. And now they're coming to the edge of the promised land. Uh, this is 40 years later when they're about to enter. And they're standing on the banks of the River Jordan. And it says it's in flood. And you can imagine them standing on the edge and say, right, Joshua, do the Moses stick thing, would you? Do the Moses stick just so we can walk through. We know how this works. Do the stick thing. Actually, that's not what God wants them to do this time. This time, he tells them they've got to step into the water before he will stop the flow. They've got to step in. They've got to make that step of faith. And they go, oh, I'm going to get wet. It could be a disaster. We could get washed away here. But God says, trust me. Trust me. Step into the water and see what, see what happens. That first faith-filled step. He wants to do it not because he's standing there waiting for us to flop. <laughs> he's not standing there waiting for us to flop. He's standing there and he's waiting because he knows this is the way that we grow. When we make those faith steps, this is how we actually grow. We talk about daring to grow. This is how we do it. Those difficult steps of faith, uh, we've got to trust. At Antonelli's wedding yesterday, we were sharing a table with Nathan and Lucy. And, and uh, little NJ, their, their one-year-old, was at the table in his high chair. And they gave him um, uh, food to eat. And he's, he's, they've cut up little bits of fruit. And he's trying to pick up the food fruit and eventually he grabs a piece of melon and he puts his whole fist in his mouth he does literally he has his whole fist in his mouth, and then kind of lets go of the fruit inside his mouth and then pulls his fist out again it's not very economical way of eating it's not very efficient but the food is going down and compared to what he was like six months ago when they were doing all the work when they were feeding him with a bottle and they had to kind of put the spoon in his mouth this is progress And if you come to my house and see my teenagers eat, you wouldn't expect them to be doing the same thing with the fruit. You wouldn't expect it, but... No, they're not, not really. Um, And we all know there needs to be 
growth. There needs to be development. And in many things that life, that only happens when we trust God and we step out into new and scary situations. That's the first thing. The second thing, we see that we know that in the wilderness, God provided manna. He provided the food for them to eat. Um, as soon as they crossed in the promised land, I think it says in Joshua 5, it says that the, the manna stopped the day after they ate the food from the land. The manna stopped. Because now they've got to sow and they've got to reap. They've got to take possession of the land and they've got to, you know. And actually the food that they're going to get now is far better. We're talking grapes and pomegranates and figs and oil and grain, uh, milk and honey. Far nicer than manna, but it takes them to step in and receive it and to do what's necessary. And the third thing, we know that uh, in, the, in, in the wilderness, before, as they uh, crossed the Red Sea, God defeated the Egyptian army. And now they've taken this first step of faith, they crossed the Jordan, and they immediately faced with the walls, the towering walls of Jericho. And they're looking up, and you could think, actually, that might make you a bit disillusioned. Um, because now, although God's going to do the, uh, the work eventually, he tells them that they need to be involved. They've got to go and walk around this wall for seven days in silence and then they've got to walk around on the seventh day and they've got to blow their trumpets. And you could just imagine them walking around Jericho. And they go, really? We've got to do this? This just feels a bit foolish to me. This doesn't feel like we're accomplishing anything. But they're obedient and they're trusting in what God has said and God will do the rest. And this is a pattern that we find all the way through Scripture, and it's true today. When we first get saved, there is a grace on our lives. And, um, you know, God's hand will keep us, but he won't leave us in that place forever because he wants us to grow. You know what? God accepts us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. He accepts us as we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay the same. Could God have done it all by himself? Well, we know, of course, he could. Um, he's God. But God is far more interested in building our character and growing us than he is in most other things. And we often don't want to move on. Growing can be difficult, but it's for the best life, daring to grow. Which takes me now to the second part of my message today. There are many, many ways that we can put uh, this information, this living life to the full, into practice. And we're just going to look at one way. And to do that, we're going to carry on. In, uh, we're in uh, our second book of Corinthians, second letter to the Corinthians. And we've arrived at chapter 8. And we're going to look at what I think is probably the most important way that God encourages us to move into abundant life. And this ties in perfectly with our core value of uh, um, increasing generosity. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, the first couple of verses says this. Now... Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And Paul then, for the next few verses, go on to talk, goes on to talk about how the Macedonian church, despite not having very much, takes up this offering for the church in Jerusalem who are being persecuted at this time. And actually, if you read the first letter to, to the Corinthian church, right at the end, Paul encourages the Corinthian church to do the same. In fact, he encourages all the churches in the area to take up an offering for the Jerusalem church. And he encourages them to do, he said, like, put a little aside, or put some money aside every single week and see how the collection grows. And then at some point, I'll come and take it to the Jerusalem church. Um, and we read from verse 6. 
Uh, it says this, so we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So Tert- Titus is, is at the church, and they told him, you've, you've started doing this, what I said, but for some reason, you've stopped doing it. You've stopped taking up um, this uh, offering. And he's saying, you've got to finish what you've begun. And I think we can do this too. It's easy for us to begin a new idea. But it takes discipline to keep it going. How many of us have started health drives or joined a dream, dream? A gym. Joined a gym. Um, and then after a couple of months, we just stop going. How many of us have um, you know, started New Year's resolutions but see them peter out after a short time or begun a diet that lasts for 10 days and then, oh no, this is no good, uh, not enjoying this. How many of us start a week-long fast and it gets to lunchtime on the first day, I'm dying, <laughs> feed me, I need food. It takes discipline for us to bring to completion uh, what we start. And then, of course, there's, there's our finances too, there's money. How many of us in this past have decided that we're going to live a generous life or that we're going to uh, tithe um, uh, into the church, or tithe on our income, but then the challenges of life mean that we stopped? I remember a few years ago, uh, a long time ago, probably uh, close to 15 years ago, Fru and I... Um, decided to tithe, sitting down in our lounge and having a, a frank talk about it. Now, we had done this previously. We had decided before a number of times to, to start tithing. And then, you know what happens? A bill comes in. And you think, actually, I can't afford to tithe this month. So, actually, I just can't do it. So, I'm not going to uh, give. By the way, tithing, if, if you're not familiar, it just means giving a tenth, the first tenth of your income back to God. It's ties in with the first fruits, first fruits idea that Tox and Mark were talking about last week, giving the first 10% back to God. That's what tithe means, tenth. And you know, we'd, we'd done it in the past, we decided to tithe, and then we hadn't followed it through. But this time, we were serious about it. We're going to do it. We're going we're gonna to tithe, and we're going to do it every single month. And we're going to be disciplined about it. Um, and, you know, and then I remember a... Uh, a bill came in that very, very first month. And so we sat down in the lounge. And this is, by the way, this is so like the nation of Israel. This is so like them. They've decided to go uh, into the promised land. They've crossed the River Jordan and immediately faced with Jericho. And it frightens you. You know, we decided to tithe and suddenly a bill comes in and you think, oh, if I give 10% now or if I give my offering this week, am I going to be able to afford to pay this bill? And God to the Israelites says, you know, be strong and courageous. He says, trust me. And so Fru and I are having this uh, discussion. Uh, we're talking to each other about not being able to pay this expense. And I'm saying, I just don't know if we can tie this month. And we're talking about it. And eventually, I think one of us, I think it was probably Fru because she's far more spiritual than I am. She says, um, no, we've already decided this. We've already decided that that's what we're going to do. We need to trust God. And in fact, as I was talking to Fru about this yesterday, reminding her about this, she said, yeah, it was like a dare from God almost. It was like a dare. And if we know in, in Malachi chapter 3, uh, the uh, prophet is talking about uh, tithing. And he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. And we stood on that. And I think this might be the only time in Scripture where God says, test me. 
It's like he's standing there saying, I dare you. I dare you. I dare you to do this. I dare you to trust me in this, in this way. So we tithed that month, and I don't even know what happened with that bill. It got paid somehow. I can't remember, but there was no issues with it. And it was a start of an incredible journey for us, a journey of us handing over our finances. And when you do that, when you hand over your finances, actually... It leads to everything else as well. I think finances is the hardest thing. Once you decide to do that, everything else just seems a little bit easier. And handing over our house and our uh, things and our life back over to God. And it was the start of us experiencing God's amazing favour and provision on our life. It's not that God needs money. Okay, I'm telling you now, he doesn't need our money. But he is looking for givers. For givers. He's looking for people who give because he can work with those. He can bless those. He can give those people life in all its fullness because he knows this is someone who trusts me. He trusts me in a small thing and uh, he, will give us, he will give us large things. I have so many testimonies about God using us uh, in this way and you know, bless others and then just God multiplying it back to us in ways I couldn't have imagined. In fact, I was talking to somebody yesterday evening in this church um, who uh, began tithing just over a year ago and they said, Uh, They made this statement. They said, whereas I used to think I can't afford to tithe this month. He said, now I say I can't afford not to tithe this month. I can't afford not to do it. I'm going, yeah, I'm going to use that tomorrow. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Great, yeah. Um, God can work with givers because givers are people who trust him. We move on to verse 7 in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. and And Paul makes this statement. Since you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So Paul is talking about some of these abundant life attributes that they are already showing. Um, uh, Faith, you already got, you know, speech, the words that you're saying are already right, you've got, you're getting knowledge, you've got earnestness, uh, you've got love, and all these things are great, but he's saying you also need to excel in this area of giving. We should be growing in all these areas. That's why our core value is not just generosity, it's increasing generosity. So if you're already somebody who tithes, that's amazing, and I'm sure God's blessing you in that. But we all have an opportunity to practice increasing generosity. It's an area that we can all grow in. And whether you're doing it, uh, just starting out doing it, or you've been doing it for decades, we can grow in this area. We need to be daring. I'm not saying give BCC more money, that's not my heart on this. I hope you understand that. It's not what this message is about at all. Uh, It's about living a life that pours out in generosity to people, anybody you come across in every way. You know, ourselves, our gifts, our times and our talents, but especially our finances. Make them available to God to use as he wills because we trust him. Verse 8, Paul says something interesting. He says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. He says, I'm not commanding you. This is not a command. We don't, do, we don't give to earn salvation. I've already said that's already done. That's life. That's already took place. Okay? We've got that. Um, it's not a make or break thing. Tithing and giving is not connected to our salvation. We don't give. We don't give or be generous to earn it. Uh, in times gone by, the church has not been good in this. In the Middle Ages, we know the traditional church, they sold indulgences which are essentially they were selling forgiveness for sins or you know if you give to us it'll reduce your eternal punishment that's just thievery 
and it's wrong. And thankfully, the Reformation occurred in the 16th century and kind of put pay to that in most places. Okay? That's not right. We don't give to earn anything. We give out of a heart that is sold out for God and that trusts him and know that he looks after us. He knows that when we submit to him, when we trust him, including our finances, he can use us in bigger and better ways. When we're faithful in small things, he will give us larger things to steward. And our home uh, is a perfect example on this. I'm talking about uh, mine and Fru's home. I look at the house that we've got that we live in and I constantly thank God for it. And I'm constantly amazed at what he's given us, constantly. And um, I know when God called us to share our home, when it was a small home, um, and, and we shared it, and, I, and, I, and I'm sure he looked at it and said, okay, they, they, they've been obedient in, in this with a small home. I'm sure they'll be obedient with more. And God has blessed us, and we don't deserve it. It's not that we deserve it, but God chooses to do that because we choose to be obedient to him. I remember there was a financial advisor that was sitting in our lounge. Um, we were kind of remortgaging at some stage a few years ago, as you do every few years. And he was looking at our income, and he was looking at our accounts, and he was looking at our house, and he said, you really shouldn't have this house. You really shouldn't have this. And we're like, we know! You're right, we absolutely know. And I think... He was already a Christian. I think if he wasn't, he would have got on his knees right there and then. Right, this is amazing. But, you know, we, you're absolutely right. We don't deserve the blessing. We don't deserve life in all its fullness. But it's available for every one of us if we trust him. Okay, we're coming to the end of our message for today. When we are obedient in giving, when we make that first step, when we are faithful in small things, God will use us for his best purposes. And Paul says it's the best as well. Uh, last verse. Here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not, into court, not according to what one does not have. We know it's not about the amount that we give. You know, Jesus, who did Jesus use as an example of the best giver? That widow who gave two small coins. That was his, you know, that is the prime example of the brilliant giver. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart. It's about giving, you know, being obedient. And that widow was saying, everything God has given me, I'm going to entrust right back to him. Because I know that when I do that, the blessed, most abundant life, happens when I'm fully reliant on God and when there's nothing in my life that can take his place which money often does band would you mind just coming up so are we prepared to be daring in this area of trust and especially in this area of living a generous life I'm convinced that God gives each of us opportunities to demonstrate our obedience to him in this area and I'm not saying this, again, because I'm going to benefit in any way if you decide uh, to give or be generous. And I won't lose out if you don't. But I am confident that actually you can, you will. You don't want to be wandering around the wilderness and the desert for the next 40 years. I was so excited about this message. I love talking about giving. Most people don't. 
You know, you hear other pastors talking about it. We don't mind here. Other pastors talking about, oh, it's the, I've got to give the giving talk. I'm going, no, 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 that's wrong. This is a brilliant thing. I would encourage you to live a generous life. That's what I want to do because I know that is best. That's when life turns into life in all of its fullness. That's when it happens. You may be thinking, this is the church asking for money. I can assure you it isn't. This kingdom principle that I'm teaching you, it goes against everything that society will tell you. Society will tell you, actually, that land is too difficult. There are too many giants there. You can't do that. You can't go into that. You can't walk in that. There are too many giants. I'm telling you, God said it. We trust him. We can claim that. We can walk in that. We can walk in that. So, we're going to sing a song. But before we do, I just want us to make a, 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 a response. For some of you, the step that you need to make today is actually a simple one. It's just admitting Yes, Lord, I've got trust issues. And your prayer to God now and this week might just be, God, help me to let go of my fear and trust in you and begin that journey of trust. That might be your position right now. For some of you, for others, your step might be to acknowledge that you've actually been wandering around in the wilderness. You've accepted that he's your saviour but you're stranded in the wilderness and you need to accept that he's your Lord and you want to move into life into all its fullness. For some of you, maybe you've been standing on the edge of the River Jordan, looking at it flowing, and you know that God's calling you to make that step. It could be in work, it could be in relationships, it could be in something else, but you know God's calling you and he's been calling you for a while and you've been standing on the edge, waiting for the stick thing, waiting for the waters to part and he's saying no 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 you need to grow and you know what that situation is you're thinking of it right now maybe that's you and for the rest of you maybe for all of us maybe the message about giving has struck a chord maybe you know you haven't been trusting God completely with your with your finances and with your resources and you want to put that right today and I would say be daring be daring God says trust me in this test me in this and see what happens And if any of those are you, what we're going to do, I'm just going to get you to stand right now. If you recognize yourself in any of those scenarios, we want to stand and we're just going to make a prayer of commitment to God and then we're going to sing a song. So I would invite you to stand if you know that's you and you want to make that step. You want to be more daring in the life. You want to be daring to grow. That's great. That's really good. That's really good. So I want you to think about your situation. I'm just going to make a prayer. Right now, I want you to pray this with me. Lord God, I know you have more for me. I know because your word says it. I know I I accept you as saviour and I say that you're my Lord, but I don't always live that out. And Father God, I want to do that. I want to change. I want to make a decision right now to begin this journey of trust, to trust you in these areas, in my giving, in my work, in, in my entire life, God. I want to give it all back to you. I want to entrust my life to you, that you might be glorified and I might have that testimony 
so that when my son or when anybody says to me, tell me about the hope that you have, I've got this testimony, it's on my lips, it's there and it's fresh and it's new because God is doing a new thing day by day in my life. In your name I pray. Amen.